Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, Happy New Year and welcome to this week's Roundup. I'm still behind on a few posts, but hopefully I'll be all caught up by next week, but there's still some awesome stuff to talk about right now, so let's jump right in. First up, Retro Gamer Store has just opened pre-orders on four different color variants of original Xbox replacement shells. These are going to be the same very, very high quality as all of the other Retro Gamer Store shells, and at the moment there are four transparent color variants to choose from. Just completely clear, smoked, green, and orange, but there's also potentially more colors to come. This all started out where Retro Gamer Store released a uh, a survey with kind of an interest checklist, not a pre-order first, to see what exactly would be available for people and what what most people would want, which is how they chose these four colors to start out with. But if you have different color picks that you want, definitely still do the survey because uh, Martin's listening they want to make all of the proper cases that we want to buy. And I think the original Xbox shell is going to be a pretty big seller. So if you're interested in other colors, definitely fill out that survey. Or I guess just fill it out anyway, because even if the colors are available, it's a really good metric of what people are looking for. So if you have a moment to do that, cool. If you want a few more questions about it, Vanessa was able to do just a very brief interview with Martin just to kind of talk about the different things that might be related to this. So there's some pretty good questions here that most people would probably have asked the questions anyway, so now you get the answers directly. Uh, but basically, the price is going to be about $130, and they're aiming for a fall of this year, 2024 release date. So it's a, definitely a very early pre-order, but if you followed the production of any of the other retro gamer store shells, because they're such high quality, everything has to be done in very careful steps, just like how big companies do. So there is none of this you know, promising, promising delivery in a, a month or two, because that's just not how it works. You need to get the tools made. You need to get a lot of tests and tweaking done. It takes a very long time to do something like this and a lot of money, which is why these pre-orders are necessary. So um, if you're interested at all, please check out Vanessa's post, and I think this one's going to be a pretty big seller. So I'm excited to see it when it's released and see how awesome some of these shells can end up looking. 
Next, Electron Shepard has just started selling HDMI output kits for GBS control builds. So this is essentially the exact same as posting a quality analog to digital converter on the VGA output, so a VGA to HDMI converter, but it's integrated directly into the board. It's meant to sit on top and kind of mount to it and integrate nicely, and hopefully people will come out with some cool 3D printed cases that will also support this. The price is $40 plus shipping, and they're in stock right now. So you might ask, why would you buy this when you could get an external version? Well, I think there's two very important reasons for this. One is obviously aesthetics. If a nice case was made around this, you could just have it look like it was all built into the scaler originally. So that's pretty cool. But consistency of the analog to digital conversion is the other thing. I'll be kind of quick about this because I know I talk about this all the time, but whenever you're buying those cheap Amazon products or eBay, AliExpress, whatever else, it's really hard to tell if you're going to get the same thing every time. And one of the things that people have run into recently, um, years ago, maybe four or five years ago, if you bought something like an HDMI to component video converter, nine out of 10 would work with 240p and one maybe wouldn't, maybe you just got a dud. And now it's the opposite, the same link, the same model number, the same manufacturer, nine out of 10 won't work with 240p and one might. So that's the kind of consistency that you might get with something like this. And when you're talking with something like the off the shelf products, and when you're talking about a device that could also do things like downscaling, you're going to want to make sure that everything should be compatible in all resolutions, pass-through, downscaling, 480i, whatever. So having a device that's a known good or ADC built into this is something that's important. Now, the only thing to mention is if you have a GBS 8200 board that only supports one output at a time, and the moment you wire this up, it's putting a load on the board. So after you've installed this, I kind of would uninstall the VGA port if you have a desoldering gun. I mean, you should not use both outputs at all. And even if you have a GBS 8220, one of the dual output versions, same thing. You could use one of the VGA ports to uh, add the, um, the HDMI out and then use the other one for VGA out for true dual output. But you would just never want to use the VGA port that is also connected to the HDMI. So... Uh, other than that, I mean, that's the only thing to, to take note of. I just, this looks really cool. I hope somebody has a case solution for it. Uh, and it's something that I think is going to be a big help to people who have GBS controls that just want good quality HDMI output without worrying about full or limited range or the crushed blacks or the quality of the ADC or anything like that. So definitely check this post out and uh, just links directly to the site if you're interested. Next up, Durf from consolemods.org has been working on a project archiving technical documents for PVM and BVM monitors. Everything from service manuals to service bulletins and other stuff related to that. So an example that Durf put was that the BVM 14F5U that they own has 24 technical bulletins that addresses issues ranging from white balance issues, image ringing problems, built-in test patterns not working, or even a power overload issue that happens if you don't let it uh, sit plugged in for 10 minutes before actually powering it on. So this is all very important stuff that anybody who owns one of these would probably want to be interested in, the same way that you would want to know what recalls have been done on your car or stuff like that, or you know how to fix certain issues that might come up. So uh, this is now part of the CRT wiki, which is part of consolemods.org, and all of the files that were found are now there. You could archive, or you could check these archives yourself and kind of sort through them. Uh, and it should be a giant help for people 
repairing or just wanting to learn more about the stuff that they own. And you could also help with this too if you have extra stuff or if you want to help sort through them. Just uh, check out consolemods.org, sign up for an account, uh, and check out the Discord. Much more on consolemods.org later though, so I'm going to end this just in interest of people's time because I'm going to be talking about this a lot more later. Derek Pescarilla just did a video showcasing the VM2, the VM replacement for the Dreamcast that just came out with a higher resolution screen and a micro SD card and a ton of other options. And this was really the first video I've seen that dug into all of the extra features. And my, my apologies if there's others out there and I missed it, but I really wanted Derek's opinion because while he's not a normal YouTuber video maker type, he is a Dreamcast expert. He was in charge of a lot of those translation projects and I really enjoyed his perspective on all of this stuff. Um, the one thing I will mention right away is it's a little bit more work than something like a Memcard Pro because none of the ODEs that are out yet, at least yet, send the metadata necessary for it to know what game is which. Once that is possible, you know, once uh, maybe Fixel would consider adding it to his, I believe there's a, uh, a custom menu for the GDMU that's coming out that's adding that support. And that should be able to, at that point, automatically create a new virtual memory card for each individual game. But at the moment, you have to do it manually. And it's not that bad. Derek kind of shows in the video how you could do all this stuff. And you could manage it through a web app, right on your SD card, whatever. And it would be pretty easy, especially if you use disk-based games and you don't use an ODE. It wouldn't be too bad at all to just uh, create a new virtual memory card every time you uh, put in a new disk, then rename that to the game, and then just use the VM2 to switch between them before you launch the game. It's not a big deal at all. And it, it sure as heck is easier than dealing with multiple virtual virtual cards and the dead battery every three days, or I'm being a little bit silly, but I think anybody that's used an original VM module knows what I mean by that. So I, uh, I strongly recommend checking out the video if you want to know how this thing works and what to expect from it. Um, Derek also did a post uh, with a bunch more information as well, kind of just summarizing the whole thing. So if you're interested in what the VM2 is all about, I, I mean, this is definitely going to answer probably every one of your questions. I haven't had a chance to mess with one yet, but I'll, I'll probably swing around to that at some point. And maybe when I try Fixel's ODE, I could try them both at the same time and do a live stream just testing it out and seeing how it is. But either way, if you're interested, definitely check out Derek's video. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I recently did a live stream podcast thingy with Mike Chi, Renee from DB Electronics, and Voltar talking about 
power and power supplies and really dug in deep into this. And while it's stuff that we touched upon a gazillion years ago in the Retro Roundtable here and there and things that we've discussed in bits and pieces, this was the first time that we had really sat down and did a deep dive discussion on it. And I I was just enjoying the entire thing. I thought uh, it clarified stuff that I thought I knew the answer to. Uh, I did, as always, when I'm hanging out with these awesome people, I learned a bunch of new things. And I think I got a really good perspective on what to expect. So it's available on all podcast services. If you just want to listen, just search for Retro RGB Power on whatever your app you use is. It's also a YouTube live stream, so I link to the video if you want to watch all of us. Um, you know, as usual, when we get together, we also act like idiots and swear a lot. So please keep that in mind. But, you know, I think most uh, of the adults listening either get a kick out of it or it doesn't bother them. Even if you don't think we're funny, that's fine too. But the other things, I just wanted to give a very quick summary here because I know a lot of people don't have time to listen to the whole thing. Here's the basics, the 10-foot overview. Using bad power supplies can result in audio and video interference and in extreme cases, kill your console. So don't use them. Power supplies that don't have any kind of consumer electronic rating stamp on them or fake ratings are dangerous and most people don't take power safety seriously because it could result in fires, damage of equipment, and a very, very important thing to note is if your house burns down as a result of you using unregulated equipment, there's a chance that depending on the situation, your insurance company, if they found out what caused it, could have a problem with that. And that's not anything any of us want to deal with, especially if you're in an apartment complex. Imagine burning down your apartment complex because you used a terrible power supply with a fake rating on it. Um, and that brings me to the next point. Lots of clones any kind of clone products also clone the certification sticker on there. So while you could look up and check certain brands, um, some you might not be able to find any of the model numbers on there. And it might be that it's a complete fabrication or it might be that you purchased a clone of something and you have the originals sticker on it with not really much of a way to tell the difference between them. So it's it's rough. I mean, it goes back to you, you should really be buying power supplies from reputable sources so you don't have to worry about that. Um, I link to the triads, of course, because those are the ones that we've been testing for a while. And while they're not the best power supplies out there, they're always consistent and equal to or better than the originals in every scenario that we've tested. So getting those uh, or even just finding those or uh, triads or mean wells and purchasing them from major resellers like Mauser, DigiKey, et cetera, that's how you could know that you're definitely getting uh, the correct power supplies without clone stickers on them. Also, the debate between linear versus switch mode PSUs is irrelevant. What's far more important is consistent performance under total load with the consoles that you're connecting it to, as well as all the mods that you may have added. So that's why we recommend the triads and the meanwells, because they've always passed those tests. And lastly, USB PD solutions can be fine if both the power supply that you've purchased and the conversion circuit are properly built. After we did this, uh, QWERTYMOTO posted some really great thoughts on Twitter. I, I linked here. Definitely scroll through if you want some extra perspectives on it. I, I really appreciate him taking the time to do that, but I truly think that our general warnings should still be taken seriously. So if either end of the USB power delivery circuit isn't built correctly, you could send over voltage to a console and blow out all of the chips on the board. And if you want proof of that, the probably uh, most 
common or best example to use would be that Nyko dock that was killing Nintendo Switches for the same reasons. And that's a company that's been out for 30 years almost with a team of engineers working on it. So if that company could put out a solution that kills Nintendo Switches, it's very likely that whatever solutions that you might have purchased might not be the best. And that's not I'm not talking about any one seller, any one person, any type of power supply. I'm just saying, if you have a, a homebrew solution that was made by people, that you should definitely look up that the power supply they're using is rated uh, from some kind of certification. And it's better if they're rated from some of the bigger ones. Some of the smaller certification services are kind of known for just wanting their hush money and not really putting them through stringent tests. So quality PSUs for USB stuff is absolutely imperative. And you could give me a power supply that you say is excellent. And if I don't know that it's a good PSU, unless it's for something very quick and easy, like, oh, let me just power on this HDMI splitter for five minutes, I would never use something like that. I would always use something very good. And once again, on the flip side, whatever you're converting that USB signal to has to be a well-built circuit. Now, if there are, or if they both are, that should be completely safe to use. My personal opinion that I don't think I, I really said in the context of the podcast, because I wanted to make sure everybody's voice got heard and we had a nice level-headed ending to this. But my personal opinion is I would absolutely never use anything USB-based on an original retro console. I just think there's far too many things to go wrong. And if you gave it to me, I would give it back to you. That's my opinion. You are absolutely welcome to disagree. I'm pretty sure people who sell these are going to start doing what they always do when they disagree with me for telling the truth, uh, that's fine. I'll, I'll eat all the shit I have to take for it. But that is my very strong opinion on the subject. Uh, even though I trust QWERTY's posts and I believe everything he said, I just have trust issues with power because of how many times I have metaphorically and literally been burned by low-quality PSUs or PSUs that came from a company that thought they knew what they were doing. So um, take all of this as you will. This was a six-minute summary of an over two-hour podcast. I oversimplified so much of the stuff I just said. So if you have a problem with anything I said, maybe listen to the whole podcast to get the full context. Check out QWERTY's posts on it. Um, and if, if you still have an issue with it, I'm all ears. You know, we all made the point in that podcast that we're not trying to be the definitive end-all solution for all of this. We're just trying to have a discussion openly to educate people. And Renee already, somebody found a small mistake that he had talked about with ferrite beads, and Renee retweeted that and said, hey, I made a mistake. You know, I don't mind being wrong. None of us mind being wrong as long as we're actually wrong. And it's not just people mad at us because we were talking about something. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to stop talking now. People get pissed whenever I go down this road, but I do hope people take power and power safety seriously. Cause there's just, I guess one last story. Cause you're already probably annoyed with me anyway. Uh, gazillion years ago in an old company, I had a coworker who bought one of those cheap gas station cell phone chargers. He was laying in bed, finishing up an email or something, puts the phone down, rolls over and the phone exploded. Now, not only is this a true story, it was on the local news and they kept repeating it every time it was a slow news day. So I saw my buddy's face on the local news quite a bit because of this. This actually happened. And it was really scary because if he had just written one more email, it would have exploded in his hands and in his face. 
And on the flip side, if he had stopped emailing 20 minutes earlier and fallen asleep, it could have exploded and set fire. Well, it did set fire, but the fire could have built up in his room and he could have burnt his house down. And it was all because of a garbage gas station unregulated charger for the phone. So I forgot to tell that story on the podcast. I wanted to tell it here. I just, I hope people take this stuff seriously because it's not a matter of, you know, well, you're just an elitist who wants perfect power. It's, you could burn your house down, you could destroy your consoles, or at the very least, you might get some video and audio interference, some some ripple and some buzz. I don't want any of those things, especially when power supplies like the triads are so cheap, but I'll, I'll stop now. I'm sorry. Next up, Jimmy Hoppe just did a video review of a new game for the Nintendo Switch that's kind of like a spiritual successor to the Goemon games. It's currently only a Japanese release, although people are working on a translation patch for it, which is pretty amazing. But this game looked really cool, and I guess if you're fans of the Goemon series, you should at the very least check out the review that Jimmy did. But it looked pretty interesting. He did make the point that it was kind of geared more towards children, so parts of the game were pretty easy and some of the extra side quests didn't really result in anything. But other than that, it was a completely positive review. And it was neat, because at one point in the review, I kind of looked at it and was going, you know, this reminds me sort of like a more modern Mario 64. And within a minute, Jimmy made the point of, you know, which is, this is kind of reminiscent of a Super Mario 64 type of game. So it's, I guess that's the best way to put it if you're looking for what to expect as gameplay. But it looked really interesting, and it definitely reminded me that I wanted to go back and finally play some of the original Goemon games to to see what all the hype's about. Because everybody tells me I would really love those. And I'm not a role-playing game fan, but I loved the Zelda games. And I was told this is kind of more on the Zelda side of things. But let me know what you think, um, you know, or at least the, the SNES versions or something. Maybe I'm mixing up the games, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But regardless, definitely check out Jimmy's video. And if you want a written summary, Jimmy always does a, a wonderful job for people who, uh, who just want a, some examples and a, a nice written post. But I loved the video. I watched every minute of it. And I, I would absolutely consider playing that with an English translation. Although I guess you don't really need it to complete the game. You could kind of figure most stuff out. But the story seemed silly and fun and, and by parts ridiculous. And stuff like that always makes me laugh. So I, I think I would wait for a translation. But definitely check out Jimmy's video if you're interested. A couple months ago, Tito from Macho Nacho Productions did a video about making your own Raspberry Pi handheld that kind of looks and feels like a Nintendo Switch. And I messaged him over the weekend and asked if he wouldn't mind writing a post about it because I think he uh, just got busy and never had a chance to post about it here. But I wanted to share it with people because... I thought that this might be an excellent solution for people who are looking to do something like this. And while Tito did do a video about taking an old PSP and converting it over, and of course there's tons of other solutions that you could just buy off the shelf, uh, I don't really like any of those, to, just to be honest. Just an opinion, it's okay if you use those. Uh, this looked like it had a lot of promise to it, and it uses a Raspberry Pi CM4, uh, and a widescreen display, it's kind of set up like a Nintendo Switch, but it's not. It's all just brand new parts that you could build yourself. And I think it's if you're a fan of retro emulation and you wanted something on the go, I, th I think this is a great choice. Um, 
also, I think when the CM5 is released, I don't know if it's out yet or if it's about to be out, you could get even more power out of this thing, making it a probably fairly reliable emulation device. I would love to see lag testing done on it, but my my opinion, again, I think that should be done after the CM5 module comes out because that's going to be what most people would probably move or use moving forward. So I'd love to, I don't want to ask somebody to spend hours and hours and hours doing lag tests just when there's a new device around the corner, but I'd love to see what happens then. Cause I think this could be a really great alternative for somebody who wants that look and feel of a handheld console, but just total emulation to be able to play your games. I know it's, um, it's funny cause so many people, just assume that I don't like software emulation because I love original hardware and FPGA hardware emulation, but that just couldn't be farther from the truth. My first website was on software emulation. It's accomplished so much. We wouldn't have gotten so many of the things we have today without it. They're amazing dev tools. I mean, there's just so many reasons that I love software emulation, but I also love stats, what to expect for latency, you know, how accurate is it? So hopefully we'll get that soon. And, uh, I'll follow up if there's any word on whether the CM5s are drop-in compatible, if there's any changes. But I do think if you were looking to have a do-it-yourself handheld emulation console, this is probably something you should look into, especially because so many of us nerds that are listening might love a project like this. If you don't have time, fine. The the pre-built ones, I think uh, Corey from My Life in Gaming did a video on one of those last year. Look into those if you don't have time to. But if you want a fun project and you're into this stuff, I would absolutely, I mean, or if you just want to know what it's all about, check out Tito's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you have a Sony 14L5 PVM and some of those Bose Companion 2 speakers, Kaitour Industries just posted a 3D printed design that allows those speakers to sit right on it and mount essentially to the side of your PVM. You could download the files to print them yourself. You could purchase them right from Kaitour if you just want to support the dev or if you don't have a 3D printer. And I also left links to Bose Companion 2 used speakers. And that's why this is important. Uh, you know, not to take away from Kaitor's work, of course, but finding magnetically shielded speakers to use next to a CRT is very hard. You have to really go through, jump through a lot of hoops to figure it out. However, an amazing member of the retro gaming community who used to work for Bose helped me out with a list of which of their speakers definitely are and definitely aren't magnetically shielded. So I left a link to what should be eBay results for used ones, and they're pretty cheap. Uh, So if you have a 14L5 and you want to add some speakers directly to the side of it, some nice, decent quality speakers, this would probably be an excellent way to do it, including shipping, eBay, and everything else you might need, cabling. You would be able to get this under 100 bucks total, probably more than, or, you know, even less than that. But budgeting something where you could just mount two good quality stereo speakers that are shielded that you don't have to worry about that have a headphone jack so if you want to play at night sometimes you don't want to wake everybody up i just think these are a great choice now 
The bow speakers aren't nearly as good as the Kanto Auras or the Ascend Acoustics, but we're talking wildly different price points here. So if you want to go in all in under a hundred bucks for everything, this is such a great option. And I'm really happy that Kaitor was able to post these. Um, I would love to see these for other PVMs, and I'd certainly love to see different mounting solutions for the Contos as well, but this is a great start. So definitely check these out. Uh, if you want to know more about any of the stuff that I just talked about, I left links to the magnetically shielded speakers and the, the Conto video in here. Uh, and all, the only last thing is, even if you get the exact correct model, still just check. Fire up an all-white screen or color bars or something and just wave that speaker around your CRT and make sure that there's no crazy interference, just like I showed in that video. But uh, this is pretty awesome. So if you have a 14L5, at the very least, check out the post because you might want these. And lastly, consolemods.org just celebrated its two-year anniversary, and there has so much been happening in this wiki. I am just so happy to see it grow the way it did. Durf did an awesome summary post that kind of shows a lot of the accomplishments that they've done, um, what to expect. I want to talk about some of it, though. First, just some fun stats. 3,600 site users and Discord users, people who want to join that community to make sure all of the info that we talk about is archived properly in a wiki that's really designed to be to stand the test of time, to be there as long as the internet is there. And I, that so many people are interested just makes me so happy. So thank you all. 829 total content pages and over eight gigs of total images and files uploaded. So that's awesome. So many great people and good info in there. If you want to help out with this, uh, you really don't need to do anything other than sign up for an account, take the five minute wiki crash course that Durf links to in here and kind of check out what needs to be done. There's a whole bunch of things that just kind of need helping and tweaking on that aren't really big projects that you could jump in as your time allows and just do a little bit here and there. That's certainly something that you could contribute. But there's also larger projects that they've been working on uh, that if you're into it or, and you have the ability to, you might want to jump in. Uh, we talked about the PDF sorting project from before where all of the files for the service manuals were dumped. You could definitely work on that if it's something that you're into. But there's also plugins for MediaWiki that allows you to auto-translate most pages. And uh, you would have to have that checked, though. So if you speak multiple languages and you want to help out with that, feel free to jump in. I always talk about how important translations are and how trying to make the world slightly smaller place is so important. So if you have the ability to do that, maybe consider it. But there's also, uh, they're looking to do things like a game save repository, which I thought was amazing. I've been begging for something like this for a very long time, but also disassembly guides. And yes, I know iFixit has it up there, but iFixit is very often people who aren't specialists in what they're talking about. They're just not bad at it, which isn't an insult at all. But people who work on consolemods.org are people who love this stuff, and many of them are experts in what they do. So having an expert disassembly guide is definitely important, especially for little tricks like the N64, how you don't have to undo every single screw. You could take the heat sink off in one piece. Lots of little tricks that might help. So uh, just nothing but good things to say about the console mods wiki. Uh, and if you have the ability to help in any way, just join the Discord, sign up for an account, all free, obviously, and just see what you could do. Talk to somebody and, and see if the, there's anything that you could jump in on to help. So 
once again, thanks to Durf and thanks to everybody who's been contributing. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And stuff like this um, in the moment might not seem super important, but it really is. And this is something that we're going to be looking back to for a long time to come. So thank you very much to everybody. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this wiki continues to grow. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thanks to everybody who supports in any way. I did not expect to still be able to do this in 2024, and the only reason that I'm able to is because there are so many awesome people that help. The monthly support services are the best way to ensure this keeps going, but even just clicking on affiliate links, spreading the word, and of course, using the general affiliate links as well, because then you could just click on that and go to your Amazon cart and buy your toilet paper and toothbrush at the same price, but some of that gets kicked back to us. So thank you all so much for all of your support over the years. I can't say it enough. I probably just, I probably say it so much that it loses its meaning, but it doesn't lose its meaning to me. I really appreciate all of you and uh, looking forward to an interesting and fun 2024. This week's roundup is brought to you by Neo Paradigm Entertainment connecting Southeast Asian influencers with opportunities in the West.